We are finishing our series called Tested, and that was the original plan, and, and I know that uh, this may be the last time that we get to gather together for a few weeks in light of everything that's happening, but the plan was to end today, so that, that uh, you're going to get to finish this series, and I know we're only in the middle of Lent. We're 20-some we're days in, and we have 20 more days to go, and the purpose of Lent is to examine ourselves, that we may, as we talked about week one, the parazzo, this testing or tempting, depending on how you translate it, uh, it's an effort to come to know the character, the true character of someone. So we're tested, and we want to be tested. I mean, that's, we're preparing for the reality of Easter. We're going to confront the empty grave, the resurrection, and the life of following Jesus Christ uh, evermore. And so these questions of testing, we want them. We crave this. And I know sometimes it's not fun to look into the mirror or to turn on the light in your own life and to turn your focus inward and confront yourself where you need to be confronted and allow the Spirit to bring things to your attention that maybe are not going to be fun to uh, be aware of. But ultimately, this is leading us to a better place. And so we, we crave this. We want this. We parallel Christ's testing in the wilderness uh, as we go through these 40 days. And so some questions for us to consider just in the light of Lent as we press onward for the next couple of weeks, since we won't be together, here's some questions for you to, to carry that will help you confront yourself. So where have you lost your way? Or where have we as a church lost our way? Where have you gotten off track? Where have you forgotten how to listen to the guidance of God? Have you been listening? And in our rituals and practices as a church, uh, have we begun to overpower the love and grace of Jesus Christ? And I know I have to sit with that one. Another question, in what ways have we allowed the lure of other kingdoms, other ways of life, to distract us from our focus? And in what ways are we actually pursuing something else other than God? And I know that we might think we are all about God, but when it comes to looking at our calendars, our schedules, when it comes to looking at where we spend our money, where we invest our time, what we are ultimately pursuing from one day to the next, are we pursuing something else? It's good for us to face at this time the question of, in what ways are we self-seeking? In what ways have we made unbelief or rejection of God's leading in our life a, a way of life? In what ways does our religious practice actually bolster our own ego rather than humble us before God? Here's a question pertinent to this time. How much room do you allow for fear in your life? There's the idea that, you know, we're like a car traveling down the road of life, and in the car are all the things we need. So there are all the emotions, joy, there's sadness, there's anger, there's fear, there's ambition. There are all these things that we carry with us on this road. The question isn't whether they belong, because of course fear belongs. Fear is what keeps us safe. Fear is what, as children, uh, stopped us from doing lots of things that probably would have gotten us seriously 
hurt. And I can tell you, my, my one-year-old is still learning how to incorporate fear into her life because she has none of it, and she almost gets hurt all the time. The idea, though, is that you don't want fear driving the car. You don't want fear steering your life. And you certainly don't want fear picking the music, so to speak. It belongs, but how much room do we allow it to actually govern us? And do you practice self-control in your life, or does anger or disapproval rule you instead? Have we let panic and insecurity interrupt our faith in God? Have we let COVID-19 interrupt our witness? Have we let denominational matters stifle our trust and our testimony? And have we been nurturing the relationships in our own lives, the one that God has given us? These are all great questions for a time of testing, and it's good for us to wrestle with this in the days ahead. But today, for our final week of tested, uh, we're going to confront a passage, and it can offer us a spring of water that bubbles up and offers us fullness of life that never ends, if we allow it. And so we're going to hear from John chapter 4, verses 4 through 42. And so I'll read first from the Common English Bible, and then later we're going to hear it from the message. And so it reads, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy some food. The Samaritan woman asked, Why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other at this time, you see. Jesus responded, If you recognized God's gift, and who is saying to you, Give me some water to drink, you would be asking him, and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You are right to say I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands and the man you are now with isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. The woman said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship him this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will teach us everything. 
Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks to you. Just then Jesus' disciples arrived and were shocked that he was talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? The woman put down her water jar and went into the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I've done. Could this man be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. In the meantime, the disciples spoke to Jesus saying, Rabbi, eat. Jesus said to them, I, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples asked each other, has someone brought him food? Jesus said to them, I am fed by doing the will of the one who sent me and by completing his work. Don't you have a saying? Four more months and then it's time for harvest. Look, I tell you, open your eyes and notice that the fields are already ripe for the harvest. Those who harvest are receiving their pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that those who sow and those who harvest can celebrate together. This is a true saying that one sows and another harvests. I have sent you to harvest what you didn't work hard for. Others worked hard, and you will share in their hard work. Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified, he told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is truly the Savior of the world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. story you've probably heard before, or at least parts. Uh, we're going to look at this story and compare it to our story from last week, from John 3. And we met a character last week, and we've met a character this week who interacts with Jesus. And they are meant to be contrasted. They are placed together on purpose by the gospel writer. Now, notice the differences. Last week's character is a man. His name is Nicodemus. He has a name. This week's character uh, is a nameless Samaritan woman. Last week's character was a Pharisee, a part of the great Jewish council, and yet this woman seems to have no significance whatsoever. Last week's character, Nicodemus, came at night in the dark. This week's character comes to Jesus in the full light of day at noon. Uh, they're meant to be side by side, and the readings, and it's to teach us something, to help us understand what lies in the middle of these passages, uh, which is all about light. Right in the middle of this is an entire lesson on light and life, and we read that last week at, the, at uh, John 3. God had sent Jesus, according to John 3, 1 through 21, God had sent Jesus out of a deep love for the entire world, and the word there in the Greek is cosmos, 
So this goes well beyond just what we see around us. This goes to everything that ever was and is. The entire cosmos, everybody, everything, seen and unseen, spiritual, physical, all of it, the entire cosmos. God has a love for God's creation. And here Jesus proves this love in a unique way by approaching a Samaritan in conversation, a Samaritan woman nonetheless. Now, like Nicodemus, this woman begins the interaction with a literal understanding of what Jesus says to her about water, just like Nicodemus struggled with a literal understanding of being born. But unlike Nicodemus, this woman moves beyond the literal, and she moves to acceptance of his words. Nicodemus had clung to questioning. He kept saying, how can this be? I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me. Where this woman knowing it doesn't quite make sense. She hasn't quite got it figured out, but her response to this invitation of receiving living water is, sir, give me this water so that I'll never be thirsty and will never need to come here to this well to draw water. You can see the simplicity, the naivety in her response, but also her reaching out to this man she's just met. What faith and what a thirst for life she truly had. Even in her half-literal understanding, she reaches out to receive from Jesus. Now, what follows that point of turn in her story uh, sometimes gets more focus than I think it should in this passage. Because what follows is Jesus saying, why don't you get your husband and, and bring him here? And she responds, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus kind of launches into this, well, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now isn't your husband. And it's always kind of implied that that this woman's done something wrong. But if you look at the passage, there is no indication that there's any sort of judgment or indictment or mention of her being sinful. None of that. And Jesus offers no kind of forgiveness either. It's not the focus. That's not the purpose of what happens. There's nothing here that we need to focus on the woman and her backstory. Rather, we need to focus on the woman and her faithful response. So, we could infer some details. She's there at noon. She's by herself. But I think that just ignores what the gospel writer is really trying to bring forward to us. Because remember, this passage is about light, darkness to noon. Now, she doesn't shy away from Jesus when he mentions this past, uh, this information about her husband. She doesn't shy away. She doesn't cower down as if, oh gosh, he knows the truth about me uh, in this kind of shameful way. She doesn't even cling to her own understanding. She responds to his question about her husband with truth. Now, we might call it a half-truth. She says, I don't have a husband. You know, she didn't launch into the whole story. I don't know. Maybe she didn't feel she needed to, but she simply responded to his question or his uh, invitation to bring her husband. And then from his response, though, when he lists out some details about her life that he couldn't know because he doesn't know her unless there's something about his identity which she immediately picks up on. She responds, oh, you're a prophet. You are a prophet based on what you've told me. And again, she doesn't launch into any sort of explanation about her past. She launches right into a theological conversation with this prophet who offers living water. This is where the point of the passage comes into focus. Now, with Nicodemus, when Jesus started talking with him and invited him into this understanding of the Spirit being born from above and the mystery of the movement of the Spirit, he, he couldn't really, he, he never really advanced beyond that. He never came out of the dark and emerged into the light, so to speak, if you stay with the metaphor. The woman 
asks a question about where they should worship. Because she's a Samaritan, they worship on this mountain versus the Jews who worship in Jerusalem at the temple. So her question is, where should we worship? What's correct? She offers this question in kind of a framework of her own understanding that there's a right answer and a wrong answer. Ultimately, she wants to know, where do I go to dwell with God? Where do I go to dwell with God? Jesus responds to her, the time is coming and is here when you need not go to a place to worship and be with God. Rather, you will worship God in spirit and truth. God is spirit, Jesus says. Not a building, not a temple, not a church. And there's not a mountain either. God is pure presence. God is spirit. When Moses asked God, what's your name? He responded, I am. Tell him I am, or tell him I will be what I will be. But basically, I am pure presence. You can't point to me. I simply am. And when we start to realize this, as Jesus invites this woman, we can live a life in constant commune with God everywhere. And that's the groundbreaking truth that Jesus is bringing into focus in this conversation. And then he fully reveals that he is He is, and he says, I am. She's anticipating a Messiah, and he says, I am. All to say Jesus Christ is the dwelling of God with all the world. All the world. God dwells with all the world through Jesus, even Samaritans, even us, even you. And we're approaching the whole point of John's gospel is going to get to where Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit on the disciples. After Jesus is resurrected on that great Easter day, he breathes the Holy Spirit. On that day, empowers them with the very presence and dwelling of God within their own bodies and hearts. The good news of truth, my friends, is that the Holy Spirit, Jesus' presence, God's abiding, dwells with us here and now. It doesn't exist in this space. And how appropriate, if we're not meeting here in the next few weeks, to be reminded that we don't have to come to this space to dwell with God. God's already with us. Now, the woman is expecting a Messiah. Jesus responds, I am the one who's speaking to you. She goes off and is telling people, and she's questioning still, is he the Christ? Is he the one? But even in her slight confusion, she becomes this witness, this apostle, this disciple, And she uses these words that only Jesus has used to call disciples and disciples have used to call other disciples when she says, come and see. She doesn't say, I have it all figured out. She says, come and see something spectacular. He could be the Christ. Come and see. Many Samaritans came to abide or dwell with Jesus out beyond the limits of the city. And then they came to know the truth when Jesus came and dwelled and abided with them in the city for a couple of days. They came to understand that he was the savior of the world. Some interesting things in the gospel of John. This is the only time the word savior is used in the whole gospel. However, the most used word in the gospel is abide, dwelling. And so the emphasis we are to understand is that God is with us, abiding with us through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. To know that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Redeemer and the Deliverer of even them, Samaritans. Even us this day. Even you, 
even here and even now. In our time of being tested and examining ourselves and seeking to be vulnerable with God and with ourselves, we must look to the good news that Jesus brought. God dwells with us here and now in spirit and in full truth. We must seek God in spirit and truth, not from a building. We must recognize that God dwells with us through the Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth where all will be revealed about our own hearts, we confront ourselves, to move us from the darkness of night to the full light of day, and to know and to be comfortable with and to even celebrate that we don't have all the answers. Amen? I don't have all the answers. Do you have all the answers? I tend to fear people who claim to have all the answers because the truth is, if we confront ourselves, we know we don't. We don't have to recite all the right rules. We don't have to have so much of Scripture memorized. We don't have to be able to clobber people with passages when they're saying things we don't quite agree with. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to make sure that everyone's on the same page at us at all times. Really, we need to confront and be comfortable with the fact that we must not ever think we fully know. So that means we're, we're done learning. We're not going to grow anymore. We're not going to follow. Rather, bring what you have. Just bring what you have. Even in your half-truths, even in your confusion, and simply trust that God enters into our lives to transform us and renew our entire beings, heart, soul, mind, and, and spirit, strength, and any kind of resistance that we have within ourselves, you'll recognize because it will manifest itself in different ways. But a very common one, a way that we resist God and it manifests us or manifests in us is when we have an us and them mentality. When we point it out to the rest of the world and kind of the self-righteousness and us and them. Uh, when we lack spirit and truth, it leads us to think that faith is a competition because we fooled ourselves into thinking that we're winners and others are losers, so to speak, that, that we and people that we come and judge to be acceptable are acceptable, where the people that aren't judged by our own parameters to be acceptable are actually pariahs and shouldn't be here. Or they need to do what we think they need to do to be able to be here. This is, this is resistance, friends. Now, you can see this clearly, this whole point of resistance and the growth in the disciples in this passage. Because in verse 27, they arrive on the scene. And it says in the, the scripture, they were shocked that Jesus was talking with a woman. Appalled. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? No one asked. Now I'm going to guess they were thinking it. Right? Because he's breaking rules here. He's talking to a Samaritan woman by himself. He's not married to her. Don't talk to Samaritans. You certainly don't get a water from their well or from their ladle or bucket. It's in their minds, but I think they've come to understand already just a few chapters in that Jesus does things differently than we expect. And often Jesus is going to use these kind of unexpected circumstances to teach us. But we first have to let go of the idea that we already understand all we need to understand. So I'm thinking that they had it in their minds, what in the world's he doing? But they knew enough to say nothing. And in their own minds, maybe just step back and think, okay, he's at it again, something unexpected. He's going to invite us into some form of growth. And they open themselves to receive it rather than trying to shut it down. 
They stopped resisting, if even just a little bit. They're taking steps in the right direction, and they're an example for us because it's, it's baby steps, friends. They are starting to understand that dwelling with Jesus and Jesus dwelling with them leads them into an entire new way of knowing and living. The spirit and truth of God brings us to a healthier place, a healed place, a saved place, if we only allow it. So we're going to read this passage again, but it's going to be from the gospel or from uh, the message. And so I invite you to hear this particular translation with fresh ears, hear this story again from John 4, 4 through 42. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed, although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. The Pharisees had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sakar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, Would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, How come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh, living water. The woman said, Sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it? He and his sons and livestock, and then passed it down to us. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever come back to this well again. He said, Go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put, I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father, neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming. It has, in fact, come when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before Him and their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. 
Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves, in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming, and when he arrives, we'll get the whole story. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of woman. No one said what they all were thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, Come see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. In the meantime, the disciples pressed him, Rabbi, eat. Aren't you going to eat? He told them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. The disciples were puzzled. Who could have brought him food? Jesus said, The food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. As you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months it will be time to harvest? Well, I'm telling you to open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. The harvester isn't waiting. He's taking his pay, gathering in this grain that's ripe for eternal life. Now the sower is arm in arm with the harvester, triumphant. That's the truth of the saying, this one sows, that one harvests. I sent you to harvest a field you never worked. Without lifting a finger, you have walked in on a field worked long and hard by others. Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. He knew all about the things I did. He knows me inside and out. They asked him to stay on. So Jesus stayed two days. They asked him to stay on, so Jesus stayed two days. A lot more people entrusted their lives to him. When they heard what he had to say, they said to the woman, we're no longer taking this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves, and we know it for sure. He's the Savior of the world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My friends, let us continue to be tested. Let us embark in the days and weeks ahead. Let us come and see. Let us be our true selves before our true God. And then be witnesses and apostles inviting others to come and see, even as we work out our own enlightenment through the Holy Spirit. Let us know that the time is here, the time is now to worship God and all God's being and honestly and truthfully 
that we may allow ourselves to be led out of the darkness and into Christ's light, that we may have fullness of life with him here, now, and forevermore. Amen. Amen.